for Thought is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. The fourth and most recent wave of the Michigan State University Food Literacy and Engagement Poll was released recently at the American Association for the Advancement of Science at its annual meeting in Washington, D.C. It focuses mainly on American consumer knowledge and practices related to food waste, what we do to reduce it, or why we don't do enough to reduce it. As you know, food waste is an often overlooked issue that has implications for food access and security. Doug Bueller, the director of MSU Ag Bio Research, said, These findings continue to expand our insights into the attitudes and behaviors of consumers. Given the challenges ahead in feeding more people while preserving our natural resources and protecting our climate, Getting a handle on the causes and remedies of food waste is key to meeting a global food demand. It takes months to produce food, but we can waste it in an instant. Our friend and colleague from Food at MSU, Cheryl Kirschenbaum, is back with us today to share about this latest data about food waste in this edition of Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Food for Thought, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and as promised, our guest, Cheryl Kirschenbaum. Cheryl, welcome back to Food for Thought. Thanks so much for having me. So you continue to host food at MSU, and, um, you know, so can you give us a quick update there, and then we'll dive into the big topic for today. Sure. Well, we've had some really interesting productive community conversations on topics like genetically modified food and food security in the face of more people and limited resources and what that will look like and food safety. And we just released the fourth wave of the Michigan State University Food Literacy and Engagement Poll with a real focus this time on food waste. And you just presented these findings at the American Association for the Advancement of Science and their annual meeting in Washington, D.C., I understand. Yes, yes. It was a real great opportunity to talk about solutions to the challenge of people not having enough food to eat and some things that we could do about it with an eye to sustainability as well. So I I want you to just kind of break this down for us, but one of the things that caught my eye was that the majority of all Americans, 88%, in fact, say they take steps to reduce food waste at home. I was pretty surprised that number was so high. That number wasn't only high. If you follow polls at all, it's extraordinarily high. And just as a comparison, I can tell you a few years ago, the National Science Foundation released a report that said uh, 76% of Americans correctly knew that the earth revolves around the sun. So when you're talking polling, 88% (laughs) on anything is really surprising. And I'll add to that, uh, we also looked at what those uh, 12% that said they weren't trying to reduce food waste at home, the reasons that they said they weren't, and we had things like people didn't have enough time or they didn't know how. 
But among that group, one-third said they just don't have any excess food waste. So you kind of add add a small percentage onto that 88% of the folks that are really trying uh, in earnest to reduce their impact. And, of course, self-reporting isn't necessarily always reflective of behavior. But I think this is is good news because we're aware of food waste, we're paying attention to it, and a number of people are out there saying they want to do something about it. So I'm really curious if they break that down demographically at all. Like, do they break it down by by geography or income or any other thing that, that gets a little more granular than the big stat? That is a great question. And yes, so we can break down our data by all sorts of demographics. And I don't have all of those numbers in front of me right now, but something that we took a little bit of a deep dive into this particular wave in terms of reporting with differences by age. And there were, they, they were significant. So, for example, 94% of respondents age 55 and over say they're working to reduce food waste at home, compared to 81%, still high but significantly less, of those under 30. Uh, and we saw this with some other things as well. Um, uh, for example, uh, we asked people about their attitudes related to the adoption of emerging technologies that might provide new opportunities to tackle the food waste challenge. Um, 41% of Americans are willing to buy a GMO-derived fruit or vegetable that stays longer than what's currently available, so maybe reduce food waste that way. But younger Americans were far more likely to say that they would consider it as compared to those over 55. And I should also preface all of this by saying uh, this is a massive survey, over 2,000 Americans age 18 or over, And uh, all the data is weighted to reflect U.S. census demographics. So we are confident saying it's nationally representative. That's awesome. Yeah, I I had that was going to be my question is like, how did what was the the mechanism that you you did in order to do the survey? But you answered a little bit of that now. That's an important piece, right? Because something also to keep in mind, whenever you hear about surveys on the news, and I get all wound up during political season because they're always fighting polls where they'll say, we surveyed 400 Americans in this particular part of the Like, they, they have these really small sample sizes, and they're trying to make big statements about it. And you really need a nationally representative set of, like, set of respondents uh, to, to, to really know how to interpret the results. Well, just uh, as a matter of, you know, relating this directly to what we do, we know, for example, that... The people that we serve want fresh fruits and vegetables, but often don't purchase as much as they want or need because they're afraid it's going to go to waste. Right. And so when it comes down to people who have to watch every penny, our experience is they tend to be more frugal and more concerned about food waste than average. And so I was very curious if the, if the study you did took into account income. That's a, yeah, it, it definitely did, um, and that's an interesting observation because, again, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I did note that um, people who are earning less and also people who have a high school degree or less were a little less focused on some of the food waste challenge issues. But I suspect, and of course this is my speculation, I suspect that may just be reflective of, hey, they don't necessarily have as much time and the luxury of sitting down and thinking about this challenge. But you're absolutely right in terms of numbers. Um, Just in the U.S. alone, it's estimated that food waste is costing us $218 billion every year, 
or broken down, that's about $1,800 on average for a household of four. So it has a huge economic imprint. Wow. She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum. She is the host at Food at MSU. She's our guest here on Food for Thought. We're talking about food waste. And uh, we want you to come back and be with us because we've got some um, more of this study that we want to uh, bring out. Cheryl, come back and be with us. Jerry, you'll be right here. I'm here. Dr. Phil Knight, come back and be with us in just a moment. Cheryl Kirschenbaum back with us here on Food for Thought. And um, Cheryl, you're hosting Food at MSU. Uh, You're doing so many things. But what you just recently did was present this um, new study, the fourth wave of the poll, which is uh, the Michigan State University Food Literacy and Engagement Poll. And you presented these findings at the American Association for the Advancement of Science in their annual meeting in D.C., and Jerry and I get to pick your brain about it. We're excited. <laughs> well, I'm we excited to talk to you. So um, there, there are some couple of things that just popped out. We talked a little bit about um, those in, in, in the first segment there. Um, but one of the things I saw when I was looking through is that 41% of Americans correctly recognize that 31 to 50% of the food annually produced in the United States actually goes to waste and that one i'm telling you it shocked me and to be candid made me sad well i think we can definitely do better we'll never be at zero food waste because some things just you cut them away as you're preparing something to eat but regardless uh, i believe the latest figure from the usda is 37 percent which on a positive note, is slightly down from the last time that they calculated what the food waste impact was. And I should also add, in terms of that question you mentioned, we we offered range. So each wave of the poll, we include one general food literacy question, and it changes each time. Uh, So it's not supposed to be like a gotcha, but it gives us a sense of where people are on a variety of issues. We might ask about chemical names. Mm -hmm. We might ask about um, one time we we found that 37% of Americans didn't know that all food contains genes. So topics like that. Right. Um, On this question, as you said, uh, more than 40% of respondents chose that uh, 31 to 50% of, uh, of our food is wasted. Um, and that also, back to the age point, includes 44% of those age 55 and older getting that right and 36% of those under 30. Over and over and over, we see older Americans performing better on food literacy uh, questions than, than those who are younger. So that kind of is an interesting point as well. Uh, that was the option that was chosen most often hmm. uh, by all age groups. So people tended to get it right. But it is a large percent of the food we're producing. I mean, if you think about it, uh, food waste actually accounts for 28% of the world's agricultural land. So more than a quarter of the food we're growing, or more than a quarter of the lands available that we're growing agriculture on are growing food that we're not eating, which is really, really wild. Yeah. Um, and yeah, accounts for one third of all food produced for human consumption. So we can definitely do better. Well, I guess in the context that it made me sad was because, you know, our mission is to create food security. And when we have so much food that's not going for that purpose, then that's what kind of made me sad. Because it's, you know, well, it's, it's such a struggle. It's such a struggle because we can be doing a lot better with distribution. Mm-hmm. Here we are wasting all this good food and a lot. I mean, there's so many reasons and things we touched on in D.C. are 
uh, for example, Best Buy, Sell Buy, Use By Dates. Most of that information is pretty arbitrary and there because consumers are demanding it. So we are throwing away all sorts of produce and chips and, and other things that are perfectly fine to eat simply because of a, a couple of numbers that are printed on the bag to make folks happy. Sometimes those, the, that information matters, maybe with more perishable items like milk. But for the most part, those are determined well before the products actually would go bad. And it's mm-hmm. not just something that we do at our homes. Supermarkets are throwing these things away before they even reach those dates. So it is a giant, giant and very complex, nuanced problem. Yeah, I'm really interested to know, too, if in your um, science of, of food waste, if you've broken it down by where in the food supply chain things start to fall off. So if you if you start with things that are harvested but never get any anywhere beyond harvesting they don't get sold they don't get they don't get uh out into the community at all it just stops there and then then there you know you have your manufacturing then you have your wholesale then you have your retail then you have post consumer waste all different steps in the in that food supply pipeline and just i mean and i don't know i mean i i realize i'm asking a complicated question and it, and it might no, be hard to question. know the answer but but do you can you break that down at all It's a great question. We actually do have some information about it. And it's also different depending on where you are in the world. So in the U.S. and many developed countries, we have the technologies to not lose all that much on the farm, to not lose all that much in transport, uh, save for, you know, refrigeration being a problem or something like that. We do pretty well getting that food to market. Now, markets often waste a ton of food just because they don't think it's worth selling. So uh, in some presentations I've done in the past, I show all these pictures of just boxes and boxes of produce, lettuce, all these delicious looking things sitting in dumpsters behind markets because they won't sell them because they don't think there's a demand for it. But in the U.S., a big part of our issue is all that stuff we waste at our house. Uh, I I personally feel guilty all the time. Uh, You'd think that I'd be attuned to this and be really great and waste practically nothing. And my husband and I do a pretty good job of eating what we can and buying what we need. But we have two little people who also live in our house who kind of undermine that because (laughs) I have small children and they will often throw things away or refuse to eat things that are prepared. Uh, But I like to think that we at least counter that with my dog who eats everything that falls on the floor, although she's (laughs) getting kind of fat. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. Um, But there's a lot of places uh, that we lose food. A lot of it, as I said here, happens at our homes. We can think more carefully about what we buy, what we need, what's sitting in our fridge that maybe we've forgotten about. But if you look over to the developing world, we do lose a lot on the farm. We do lose a lot in transport because the technologies that they're using are different, maybe less energy efficient. And also keep in mind, and this isn't what you asked me, but really important to address, when we waste food, we're also wasting a tremendous amount of water and energy at a time when we really ought to be doing all we can to conserve both of those. And wasted food also contributes an enormous amount of carbon emissions, of methane, uh, to our uh, climate change challenge. And so I believe the stat is that if food waste were its own country, it would rank third for greenhouse gas emissions behind the U.S. and China. Wow. So we're wasting and producing a lot more related to food waste than I think many of us account for when we're having these conversations. Yeah, and it's so important to capture this because, for so many reasons, obviously, I mean, the political uh, landscape notwithstanding, just thinking about 
every challenge also presents an opportunity, right? We, we know that the production capacity is there because we're producing it now. Yeah. And so, so when you think about that, that a, a problem like food security is solvable, one of the main reasons we say it's solvable is because the food is there. It's not like the cure to cancer where it's just not there yet. So you're mm-hmm. investing and investing and investing in the cure because you you haven't found it yet. Even the even though there's been tremendous advances there as well. But when you look at this issue of food security, I mean, it strikes me 218 billion dollars a year in value, and the entire SNAP program—that's food stamps, right? That entire program is about 70 billion dollars. So mm-hmm. the amount of food we just throw away casually is three times bigger than that entire part of our safety net. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. Yeah. But there are some good stories. I mean, as I said, you know, one, that calculation from USDA of the percent we're wasting in this country, that's down a few percentage points. So that's good. And we also have more responsibility being considered on the corporate level. I was recently on a panel with someone who studied, I believe it was Marriott Hotels. Think about about how Americans have these big, big events where so much food is over-prepared and then dumped. So right. certain chains are starting to take into account those kinds of relationships. And we see this in other arenas, too. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. is known for our all-you-can-eat buffets. Uh, it, they, they are in Europe and elsewhere, but we seem to really love them here. Uh, not so necessary. doesn't help our problem with obesity and diabetes either. So there are some kind of cultural changes that we can be thinking about as well. Obviously, people love their all-you-can-eat buffets, but uh, in terms of food waste and other impacts, not necessarily where we should be going. But there has been, so I don't know if you've ever tried meal kits. Oh, yeah. Services that that bring food to the house. And a lot of people are kind of suspicious. Um, The packaging can be an issue. They they produce a lot of uh, package waste when they're not recycled. But at the same time, some of these companies, and I know Blue Apron, which is one of the most popular, is a prime example. They really um, promote reducing food waste. Yeah. So they are sending you exactly what you need, and they've signed on to a pledge uh, to help the, the nation tackle our food waste challenge. Um, and there's been some early work looking at kind of the impact of all of the production of those boxes and delivery versus what that would be if each individual household was going to the market and buying what they need. Uh, and the meal kits are looking pretty good. Wonderful. So That's great. Things are moving in a not-so-bad direction. I like it. It's not, it's not all a sad story. <laughs> I, yeah, no, it's not. Okay, I'm feeling better. I'm not as sad as when we started this show. So that's good, good that news. That was my aim. Yeah, yeah, you're pumping me up here. She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum. She's our friend. She is the host of the Our Table Food at MSU Community Discussion. She's the executive director for Science Debate. And she is the host at WKAR at Michigan State University for Serving Up Science. But she's our reoccurring friend and guest here on Food for Thought that keeps Jerry and I on our toes with great information. And we're going to come back for one more segment if you have time, Cheryl. Absolutely. Can't wait. Great. This is Food for Thought. Come back and be with us. We'll be right here. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Our guest, Cheryl Kirschenbaum, 
we're talking off air. You guys were having a great topic there, Jerry. So why don't you reintroduce that for us? Yeah, one of the things, and and of course, Gleaners is, is involved somewhat in community gardening and and you know this this whole local food effort, right? It's something mm-hmm. that comes up quite often. And when we when we look at wastefulness and and wasting energy and wasting food throughout the food supply, um, one of the things I hear often from people in that world is, well, if everyone just grew you know locally and and we didn't have these big farms and we're shipping food all over the place, things would be a lot less wasteful and a lot better. So that might be true in some instances, maybe not, and I'd really be interested in your take on that. Yeah, that is a great, great topic, and um, it's it's really nuanced. It's not as simple as I think a lot of us account for when we think local is better. I mean, local is great, and I'll preface this by saying uh, I grow a lot of my own food in my garden. And my kids get involved, and we love doing it, and we have our own kale and our tomatoes and our lettuce and and all sorts of things. And that's great, and sometimes it really does taste better. But you have to think about this on a case-by-case basis, depending on region. So if you're trying to grow foods that aren't naturally going to thrive in the climate you live, so you're spending an intense amount of energy to heat up a hothouse, uh, you're... you're, uh, you're, Um, producing or or you have animals that aren't really well suited to that environment, then you're also contributing a lot of, um, a lot of resources into growing those foods, producing that, that those vegetables, those fruits, uh, that meat, uh, in a way that would be a lot less energy intensive, wouldn't need as much, uh, not just energy, but wouldn't produce as much carbon as if it were shipped from elsewhere. So um, thinking more comprehensively from, like, the, the regional and global perspective, local isn't always better for the environment or sustainability. Uh, you kind of factor in what you're growing and where you are, and then you make a decision about that individual product. That's great advice. And, I mean, again, the wisdom in using science to figure this stuff out as opposed to just deciding for yourself this is better, Right. I, and I, I love it. I, I really like all these perspectives are so important to our understanding of what we can practically do. And that was another thing that we talked about a little bit on the break was what are things people can practically do to reduce the food waste they, they're currently having at their own home? Sure, sure. And and I, I want to add, too, to, to your point that you just made. You know, we used to be a society where so many people lived on farms, and today it's less than 2% of Americans. So what we see in these surveys over and over is that about half of Americans say they rarely or never spend time thinking about how their food is produced, where it comes from, its impact. And these are important factors when we're trying to make choices that are good for us and good for the environment, good for our health, nutrition, all these different factors. Uh, And food waste is a huge part of that conversation, not just because we waste it, but because we can redistribute it, uh, because we can do better. Uh, In terms of our own impact, reducing our impact, there's a lot we can do. And a lot of it is, frankly, things that we probably sort of already know but trying not to purchase excess food. Uh, we often go and we buy these giant boxes at, at the big box, you know, Costco's and elsewhere of things that we're not going to end up eating that just spoil, go bad, uh, maybe get, get nibbled on by critters later, or we forget about in the back of the fridge, and I'm guilty of that sometimes. Um, also trying to make a point of eating the food you buy before it spoils, and there's an economic piece. Nobody wants to throw away money. If you're going to buy something, make time to eat it. Uh, and then... Um, Sharing what you have. If, if you have too much when possible, this is something I think about all the time. If 
we had we had a great big it was just a birthday cake for my son but we brought some to our neighbors when we came home from the party um trying to share what we can i mean little things adding up can make a big difference and uh and those are pretty simple behavioral changes that uh, if you're not already doing them thinking about them uh something that can can have an impact and really matter only buy what you need eat the food you buy and share whatever doesn't fit those two Seems mm-hmm. like a pretty good one, two, three recommendation. Can't hurt to try. And also like little things that, that feed into that uh, before you go to the market. Have a list. Have a sense that you know what you need. Otherwise, you end up seeing things on the shelf and just throwing them in your cart and forgetting you ever got them. Uh, they, they can make a difference. So don't shop I hungry. I you money, which is even better. Uh, although the things that I get that I don't have on my list are things I always eat. I mean, honey roasted cashews are going down. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. And, and they are pretty appealing. Yeah, and right. it's okay to slip once in a while. We all do. And to your third point about sharing, he doesn't share very well. So, uh, no, terrible. he's keeping those peanuts to himself. I'm just telling you, they're on his side of the desk over there. Well, then we know what Jerry has to work on. Yeah, there's so right. many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we don't have that time for that show. Uh, she, <laughs> She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum, and she is um, kind of our Cheryl. You're really our go-to. And oh well, I'm happy to chat anytime. This is a real treat, and it's a fun conversation and series of conversations to be having. Well, we're we're going to keep doing it. We're 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 excited for uh, the impact and how Food for Thought and the show that we've been doing now for a bit over two years um, has changed the conversation about food security. And related topics such as food waste here in the state. And um, one of the reasons we're doing that is because we have great guests. And you're top of that list. Oh, thank you. We follow each other on Twitter. And Jerry's on Twitter now. So, oh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's go a couple of Twitter handles here. Jerry, what's yours? GCFB Jerry. And that's with a G. Right. Jerry with a G. Right. Right. Okay. And Cheryl, yours, yours is much simpler. What is that? Well, you think it was simple. It's it's just at Cheryl underscore, but Cheryl is S H E R I L. I like it. Tricky. Well, and me, I'm at Dr. Phil fourteen D R P H I L one four. That's me. So follow us all on Twitter, and uh, you can stay up with uh, all the news that is news in regard to the food world. She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum. She's our host at Food at MSU, and and uh, you can follow her at. S-H-E-R-I-L underscore. Jerry and I will be back to wrap up this edition of Food for Thought in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry, that was our friend Cheryl Kirschenbaum, who is always so... Such a wealth of information, and uh, she just presented this uh, fourth wave of this study of this being accomplished at MSU there in Washington, D.C. And, you know, Cheryl, I mean, she's always advocating that policy should be informed policy through science and data, and we wholeheartedly agree. And we need this information to help us make our case for how this problem is a solvable problem. By this problem, I mean food insecurity in our state. We believe it's solvable, and again, one of the biggest reasons is because there's enough food. 
We yeah. just have to we have to unlock just a portion of what goes to waste, and we're food secure right there. I mean, so how do we do that? Yes. And there's so Certainly many pieces to this puzzle. Within the entire food system, there's more than enough food, which we get that question quite a bit when we're out speaking, um, that, you know, isn't there enough food? And we have to say, absolutely, there's enough food. Is there enough food getting to the people who need food? No. Right. But, you know, so then uh, I remember a conversation some years ago uh, with a, a, a high-ranking political official said, so then you're telling me it's just a logistics problem. Well, yeah, but not just. Right. And and oversimplifying is a dangerous thing to do. Right. Right. Are logistics part of the problem? Sure, of course they are. But attitudes are also part of the problem. And one of the things Cheryl talked about in terms of just our own attitudes about going to the store, do we only buy what we need? Do we then eat what we bought? And then do we think about sharing when we've overmade whatever it is we're going to do? Those aren't logistics problems. Those are attitudes that affect how much food hmm. goes to waste. And, and of course, those attitudes permeate the entire system and, to some degree, the political process. So, you know, that's why changing the conversation is so important. Learning this information, among the other things we continue to learn on this show from the tremendous guests that we have about here are things you can do to get to the next level and the next level and the next level of food security until this problem is solved. And we believe it can be solved cheaper than what we're actually spending today if we do it right. Now, I know that's a big challenge, but fundamentally, it's not just about more. Sometimes it's doing better with what you have, and this conversation really highlights that. Well, and that's true in every aspect that we think that we're working in, right? That's it's not just about ask give us more money, give us more resources. It's about how do we use what we have the mo- in the most effective way that benefits the community in the best way. That's true in healthcare, that's true in education, that's true in workforce retention. Exactly right. So, so I also thought it would be important. She talked about markets being one of the first big places in the food supply chain where you see waste really ratchet up. And she talked about food really not being sellable at a certain point. And so why would a market hang on to food they can't sell, right? I mean, right. from a business perspective, you can kind of understand that. But I want to, the, 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 the retailers really are working hard at this. I know all the big box retailers are thinking about how they can reduce waste. And Kroger has a zero hunger, zero waste initiative right now, which uh, it started a while ago now, but they're really making progress toward not only accelerate donations if things aren't sellable and make sure they're doing the most they can by giving it into our food bank network, but they're looking at things like, can they donate more balanced meals and can they look at public policy solutions to address this so that less food goes to waste? Can they look at their own shopping and throughput in new ways so that they can make sure they divert as much food as possible, not to waste, but to use. And, you know, zero hunger, zero waste is their goal. And that is a really important public step towards addressing this issue from Kroger. And I know, Phil, you were talking about Meyer as well. Well, yeah, they do. I think they have some of the same attitude that you were talking about that I'm thankful that 
shows like ours are helping to change that conversation. In fact, uh, we just had a meeting with Meyer uh, recently where that, you know, m- most, if not all, of our food banks are picking up at the store level. But, you know, back up the food chain another level to the distribution level, and they're, taking, they're talking about having uh, sizable quantities of something that's overrun or mislabeled or something, and then can we get that into your network? So, again, it fits right in with the, the, the slogan of zero hunger, zero waste, but it's another big box store, certainly here in the Midwest, and Michigan in particular, that has it as a high value that we don't want to see good food go to the landfill, have its negative effect on the climate, while people that we're serving are hungry. And we know that Walmart has a huge relationship with the National Food Bank Feeding America and also with many of our local food banks in a very similar way. And and again, not to leave out anybody because uh, there's there's grocery stores from huge to small that are participating in, in trying to figure out how to get as much food as possible out of the landfill and into the, into the homes of people that need it. And that's a really, really important part of getting to that next level of food security. Well, there's also another level here, Jerry, that we're involved in, and that's largely responsible uh, with thanks to Senator Roger Victory, who, as the chair of the Agricultural Committee, really helped us secure a grant that we could begin to rescue food from the processors, particularly the quick frozen, the individually quick frozen foods, rather than that being uh, off to the landfill, we're capturing some of that and bringing it into our network. And if we can maximize that, it's really going to make a great difference because it's high quality food that has a long shelf life because it's quick frozen. And when we talk about this work, we're really talking about something that creates a tremendous impact. It helps stabilize houses, it helps get people better health, and it helps empower people to work on other things in their life. We say food first, we say it every show. So the way this all connects back is by addressing food waste in creative ways. So we turn that food from landfills into household income, essentially. Yeah. We are helping to support people in ways that has a dynamic, structural, permanent impact. And by continuing to do that more and better until there is no more food insecurity, we are going to live in a better community, a more successful community, and a community of people that can really take care of themselves. So it's a, let's just count for just a few seconds here on the economic impact, because you, you mentioned the other benefits in the household model, uh, household impact model. Uh, And Cheryl touched on the $218 billion that works out to about $1,800 a household. That's just about food waste, right? Right. That's not even about the economic impact of if you're rescuing that food and able to turn it around for and repurpose that food to help people become more food secure. But just think about $1,800 a household. Would that not be a tremendous shot in the arm for a lot of the folks that we're serving? Well, and when you narrow it down just to the households that need it, 
it's even more. Sure. Right? It's $1,800 a household, no matter what your income is. When you narrow that down to 180% of poverty or less, it's many fewer households, which is a lot more resources available to make sure they can be as successful as they can be. And that's where we need to be. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. I really think it's time to get a hold of this matter of food waste. We all have heard the phrase of waste not, want not, and many of us learned it from growing up in a home that didn't always have plenty. Another turn of this phrase is willful waste makes woeful want. I don't want to live there. And if we are to avoid living in need, we better get serious about food waste. Let's make the decision right now to stop the willful waste of foods we buy. Fresh produce, milk, fruits, vegetables, all of it. Let's decide to stop wasting any of it completely right now. I'm talking zero waste from our refrigerators. Now that we've made that decision, now all we have to do is manage it. We do not have to continually redecide what we've already decided. All we need to do is manage it. When we look into our produce bin and we see something, we can make a plan to use it before it goes to waste. Zero. If we each make and manage this decision, we will make a huge difference in the shameful issue of food waste. Jerry and I are back next week with Kirk Mays, our friend and colleague, the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, headquartered in Oak Park, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, and one of the top food rescue organizations in America. Don't miss Kirk, Jerry, or me next week on Food for Thought. Until then, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.